Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Window. I'm Dr. Joanna Williamson, and this is the point at which I usually pause and wait for my co-host to say I'm Dr. Iris Cooper. But Dr. I is on the road today and is feeling a bit under the weather, so she won't be able to call in. So please keep her in your thoughts. She'll be back with us next week here on The Window. But I'm flying solo along with our sound engineer, Pastor Wayne Dandridge. And so I'm going to every now and then make a comment to him, which is great because he can't comment back. So that's just perfect to be able to talk to somebody who can't talk back, he said as he pulled a microphone close to him. But thank you for joining me, Dr. Joe and Dr. I in spirit here for the window. You know, as always, Dr. I and I talk a lot about the topics that we want to bring to you. Our show is all about reflecting on issues that are important to hopefully you and hopefully you leave each show feeling better informed and motivated to take some action about the topics we talk about. And so as we talked in the past few weeks about what topics we might bring to you. The issue of COVID came up and we said during our casual conversation, well, maybe people are tired of hearing about COVID. People are into their summer plans and they're getting back together again. And believe it or not, they're even starting to get ready for school again, if you can believe that, the summer is flying past. But even as we said that, all of a sudden we caught ourselves and said, you know, the fact that people might be tired of hearing about COVID is exactly the reason they should hear about COVID. And so if you've been paying attention, even in the the past few weeks since Dr. I and I had that conversation, there's more and more talk about this thing called the global pandemic. And here's an announcement, it's not over yet. And so I can't think of a better person to have here today than someone who is extraordinarily knowledgeable and competent and capable of telling us everything we need to know about COVID. And if you haven't been paying attention for the past few weeks to all the talk that's going on, please start right now. We're glad you're joining us in terms of taking the time to be with us today. But if you could please just turn your whole attention, try not to multitask as hard as you usually do, and hear what's being said with your entire brain because knowing what's going on with COVID is critically important. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. So we want today to bring you the facts as best we can. We are so honored today to have with us Dr. Mashika Roberts. And I'm going to ask her to take a few minutes as we start and do what I've rarely seen or heard her do. I'm going to ask her to not be humble for a moment because I I want her to introduce herself, what it is she does, and what her credentials are that allows her to be a truly expert guest on the show today. So, Dr. Roberts, thank you for joining us here on The Window. Well, good good afternoon, and thank you so much for having me. Um, it truly is my honor to be here to talk about um, an issue that um, has been near and dear to my heart for the last 18 months and to provide some wisdom to your listeners today. Um, I am the health commissioner for Columbus Public Health, and Columbus Public Health has the responsibility of keeping all of our residents and visitors of Columbus and the city of Washington healthy and safe. I have had this position since December of 2017. Prior to that, I have worked at the um, national state and local level in public health, having previously worked for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Ohio Department of Health, as well as the Baltimore City Health Department. 
Um, my undergrad degree is in psychology from the University of California at Berkeley. I received my master's in public health from that school up north, the University of Michigan. And I received my medical degree from the University of Maryland at Baltimore. Um, and public health is truly a passion of mine and one that I've dedicated my entire medical career to. So, uh, again, I'm honored to be with you all and to talk about where we are today with COVID-19 and this pandemic. Thank you. And again, we couldn't be more honored to have you here. And I'd like for our listeners, we always try to interject throughout the show what it is you can do. So right now, what you can do is just to reflect on what it is she told you about her background and her credentials and stop for a moment and compare that with whoever you're getting your COVID information from. So we all love Uncle Fred and and, and Cousin Willie's a, a, a great uh, party person and, and even Grandma has gotten us through the years with her knowledge and wisdom of of we used to call them old wives tale about medicine and some of them work but this truly is a global pandemic of which i've never seen the likes of and my understanding is that there hasn't been one in the last 100 years and also if my understanding is correct that a, a lot of people who are or have major decisions to make about whether to wear masks, what to do with their children, whether to take the vaccine, are basing their decisions on the credibility of who they're getting the information from. And so I want you to reflect on our guest today, how credible she is, and also she is African-American. And I say that only because for those of us who are African-American, we have every right to be a bit suspicious about information that we're given about our health. And so she is very much in tune with not only what's going on just here in Columbus and Central Ohio, but also in the country and also as it relates to populations that are disproportionately affected by health issues and in particular by COVID. Am I correct with all that, Dr. Roberts? That is correct, yes. So what I'd like to do, we have a whole list of questions for you, but I'd like to start out by just opening the floor to you and asking you to tell us what you believe is most important that we know about COVID right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you were correct when you said it's been 100 years since we've had a global pandemic of this magnitude. Um, and that pandemic was the uh, um, flu of 1918. And um, I remind people, and I reminded them at the beginning of this COVID-19 pandemic, that pandemic lasted for two years. Wow. Now, granted, in 1918, we didn't have some of the scientific advancements that we have today. We weren't able to create an effective vaccine as quickly as we were for COVID-19, but it lasted two years. Hmm. And so we're really only 17 months into this pandemic. Um, so I, I just remind people of that. So here we are 17 months into the pandemic. If you look at just the United States, we've had over 600,000 individuals lose their life wow. as a result of COVID-19. And I think what is most astonishing is as a result of this pandemic, CDC just came out with a report this um, week that life expectancy for all Americans was reduced by one mm. year as a result of this pandemic, as well as other things that have been um, a sequelae of this pandemic, like overdose death, drug mm. overdose death. Um, so here in Columbus and Franklin County, 
we have almost 140,000 individuals that we know of who've been infected with COVID-19. And I say that we know of because many people don't get tested. And if you're not tested, it's not reportable and we don't know about those cases. Um, we have seen a dip of cases in the last two months. Um, a lot of that is because of the effectiveness of the vaccine. A lot of that is because of summertime and we're doing activities outside versus inside. But what's most disturbing is since the 4th of July weekend, not only here in Ohio, but across the country, we've seen a surge in cases. Um, our 21-day average here in Ohio has almost doubled um, since the 4th of July. And my concern is that it's only going to get worse over the next few weeks, not get better. The Delta variant is alive and well in Ohio and across the country. And this virus, when I say this virus, I'm referring to the COVID-19 virus, is very smart. It's very tricky. And it has mutated several times since we first identified it in January or really December of 2019 in China. But since we identified it here in the United States in January of 2020, it has mutated. And the new mutation, which we're calling the Delta variant, is very sophisticated, very contagious. And what do I mean by very contagious? What I mean by very contagious is previous forms of the COVID-19, you would have to be exposed to, let's just, let's use nomenclature that we're all familiar with. Let's take a measuring cup. Previous versions of the COVID-19 virus, you would need a whole measuring cup full of the virus for you to be exposed and likely become symptomatic. With this Delta variant, it is so contagious, you could have a fourth of a teaspoon of the virus exposed to you and get symptomatic or get infected huge difference. So it's very, very contagious. You need smaller amounts of the virus to get infected. Um, So it's something we all need to be concerned about, especially now that across the country, we've removed all the mandates. We've removed all the orders for wearing masks, for social distancing, for barriers, to capacity limitations. And I think when we removed those barriers or lifted those orders, Many people thought the pandemic was over, and the pandemic is far from being over. And so it's really now being left to individual personal responsibility of how you want to protect yourself and your family from getting infected with COVID-19. You've said a lot, and I'm going to try to unpack this a bit, but I'm also going to raise some of the objections that I've heard since the start of the pandemic and even more now and ask you for your thoughts on that. So you told us about a staggering figure of human beings and please everyone think about the fact 600,000 that's not just a statistic those are human beings those are human beings who in one year 17 months lost their lives due to COVID. Dr. Roberts I hear some objections by people who say, well, gee, all those people weren't COVID deaths. A lot of those people had underlying conditions, as we know. And so those are just being recorded as COVID deaths because there's there's some benefit to doing that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I would say there's no benefit to identifying a death as COVID-19. 
as a medical professional, we are trained of how to complete a death certificate, and it's a training, and you have to put the cause of death. We have millions of people walking around every single day who live with diabetes, obesity, hypertension, lung disease, heart disease. That doesn't cause them to die. They are living their lives with that disease, um, sometimes managed or controlled with medication, sometimes not. But having an infection like COVID-19, those medical conditions that I just described are further exacerbated by the infection. The infection caused their death, not the heart disease. Um, we know we have an obesity epidemic here in our country. We know we have diabetes. I mean, we know certain populations of our communities are disproportionately impacted by diabetes and hypertension, but that doesn't cause them to die. You can drive down the street today or go to your local mall or any gathering place and see lots of people walking around who are obese or who might have diabetes, but they're not dying. These individuals died because of COVID-19. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. And so, yes, an extraordinarily sad number of people have died. What about people who got sick from the virus and have said, well, gee, I beat it in a week or two, and so it's really not that bad. It's kind of like the flu. Well, you know, the unique thing about this virus is it impacts everyone so differently. You know, there have been people, usually younger people, who have the infection and they have mild disease, meaning maybe they just lost their sense of smell or taste for two to three weeks. Maybe they felt a little fatigued and that was it. But then we have others, and some of these are world-renowned athletes, you know. Some of them run five miles a day. They're in, the, they're in great shape. But yet they have the virus and they're bedridden or hospitalized. So we don't know how it's going to impact one person versus the other person. And that's the scary thing about this virus. And as a medical professional, we can't say, well, you, because you are physically fit, you're running, you're eating well, if you get the virus, you should be okay. You, on the other hand, because you've got some underlying medical conditions, we need to be worried about you. The virus is, for the most part, we're trying to say that, but it's not consistent. We've had some people who we thought would have really had some struggles with the virus, but they get the virus and they tend to have mild disease. And others who we think would have, you know, mild disease have severe disease. And then it's hit or miss of whether you're going to have the long-term sequelae of the virus, what we're now calling COVID-19 long haulers. Um, those individuals are really struggling and we don't know who's going to struggle and who's not. Um, so it's really a gamble if you get infected, which camp you're going to lie in. Are you going to be in the mild or the severe camp? And, and we don't know the answers to that. It's a gamble. And what about young people who say this is an old person's disease? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the interesting thing. Um, it's not just an old person's disease. You know, we've heard of young children dying from COVID-19. Um, we've heard of this multi-inflammatory system syndrome that kids get, also known as MISC. Um, and with the Delta variant, what we're hearing from across the United States is 
more young people are ending up with COVID-19 in the ICU. So again, the virus is tricky. It's changing right in front of our eyes. And we just don't know enough about it yet to know exactly what population is at increased risk or at risk for some of these severe or complicate severe disease or complications from the disease. Dr. Roberts, if it pains me to have to ask you these questions that have been asked and answered over and over again, I can only imagine how traumatic it is for you to to keep addressing these issues. So thank you for your patience. So if we fast forward just a bit to the fact that obviously there is now a vaccine, where do we stand in terms of the percentage of our population who have taken advantage of being vaccinated against COVID? So this is really interesting. And, you know, we were fortunate as a country to get a vaccine so quickly and not just get a vaccine, have three choices of a vaccine and have very effective vaccines. Now, I say that to say no vaccine, just like no medical treatment, is 100 percent effective. If it's above 90% effective, that's great. And in the case of the three vaccines we have privy to, which is the Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, they are all pretty effective, close to 90%, give or take, effective at reducing mortality and morbidity from COVID-19. So what do I mean by that? They are very effective at reducing death from COVID-19, assuming you were vaccinated, and hospitalization. But what we're learning, particularly with this Delta variant, is just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you won't get sick. So many people say, well, why bother? Why get vaccinated if I could still get sick? Well, because you could get sick, but you won't end up in the hospital, you won't end up in the ventilator, and God forbid, you shouldn't end up losing your life. Um, But, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, there are people who take high blood pressure medicine. It works for one person. It doesn't work for another. So then we go and find another drug that is more um, effective at reducing that person's blood pressure. You know, it's unfortunate that this vaccine has had so much skepticism. Some of it has um, been drawn on political lines. Um, Some of it has just been on the speed of the vaccine. And I remind people all the time, this is a this is a virus that we here, or not just here in the United States, but across the world, have known about for a good 20 years. So if you think of MERS, which was Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, um, we knew about that in the early 2000s. Um, we've been studying this virus in the laboratory for over a decade. And this mRNA vaccine platform that Pfizer and Moderna use is something we've also been studying for over a decade. So as new as it might be to the general public, to the scientific community, it's not necessarily new. And I, as a healthcare professional, I, as a public health professional, and I, as an African-American woman, would not be encouraging my family to get this vaccine. I wouldn't have gotten the vaccine, nor would I be encouraging the public to do it if I wasn't confident about the vaccine. We're going to come back and talk more about the COVID vaccine and about COVID in general with Dr. Mashika Roberts after a quick break on The Window. 
back on the window. This is Dr. Joanna Williamson. We're talking about COVID. We've been talking about COVID as a country, as a nation, as a, a global epidemic type of issue for the past year and a half. And we're so honored to have Dr. Mashika Roberts, Columbus Public Health Commissioner, who started this hour by reminding us that the last time we had a global pandemic nearly 100 years ago, it was a two-year event. So it's not over yet. We were talking about the vaccine. And Dr. Roberts, you made an analogy just before the break about blood pressure medication. And so I have hypertension. I take blood pressure medication. I've also had the vaccine and I did not like some people have mild side effects. I had no side effects with the vaccine. I did have some side effects when I first began taking medication for hypertension. And after making some adjustments, my doctor said, and I agree that the risk of not taking the high blood pressure medication greatly exceeded the risk of taking it. And so do you think that's a fair statement to make for the COVID vaccine in terms of the risk involved in taking it versus not taking it? Absolutely. I think it is. I mean, again, it's like playing Russian roulette. You don't know if you're going to be exposed and get the COVID-19 virus. Chances are, if you continue to be out and about in the community, you will be exposed to COVID and you will get sick. Whether you'll have mild symptoms or severe symptoms, we don't know. The vaccine is your protective measure. You're putting that barrier in place to protect yourself. It's like putting an armor suit on. It's not 100% effective, but it's somewhere between 90 to 98% effective at reducing death and severe disease. Um, The risk of getting COVID and having, you know, if you get COVID, once you get infected, there's nothing we can do to control it, the virus in your body, of whether it's going to be severe disease or mild disease. Once you get it, you've got it. And we just have to wait and watch and see what happens. But if you get the vaccine, that's your insurance policy that likely you're going to have much milder um, infection much milder symptoms and you won't die from the virus. I've read and heard very painful stories very recently about people throughout the country who have not been vaccinated, who contracted COVID, ended up very sick, and just before they were put on the ventilator, asked if there's any way they could get the vaccine. That's tragic, and that based on what you're telling us today, that chances are them contracting COVID or getting it to the extent that they had to be intubated, that just didn't need to happen with the vaccine. And so let's talk about first those people who have not chosen yet to be vaccinated, and then later I'll ask you some questions about those of us who have. But for people who have not been vaccinated, and I said at the beginning of the hour that I wanted everyone to listen to Dr. Roberts versus everyone else's opinion. So I'm trying very hard not to give my opinion. I feel very strongly about some things, including the fact that if you have not been vaccinated, please don't come into my space. However, having said that, is there any legitimate reason that I and others should take into account as to why people are not getting vaccinated. Is there any legitimate reason, medical or otherwise, that would cause you to say, yes, you know what, that is a good reason for people not to get the COVID vaccine? Well, 
there are some legitimate reasons in terms of the timing of when people get the vaccine. So if someone is currently under um, or taking a medication that drastically impairs or reduces their immune system, like chemotherapy, their healthcare provider might give them some guidance that you should wait and get the vaccine after your chemotherapy is done, once your white blood cell comes back to normal, um, things of that nature. Um, and there are other medications besides um, cancer therapy that people could be on and their provider might ask them to wait and hold off on getting the vaccine until the appropriate time in their treatment. Um, short of those reasons, and then like, there are a few, very, very few people that have a severe allergic reaction to some of the components of the vaccine. Um, but we have three different vaccines, so hopefully they're able to find one of the three that will work for them. Um, that could be a reason why, from a healthcare reason, they have not gotten the vaccine yet. Um, short of that, all the other decisions for people not getting a vaccine are really their personal decisions not to. Um, and that's where we, as healthcare providers, as public health providers, and really as leaders, I mean, you heard President Biden say it himself. Um, as well as, you know, others, we really need to try to figure out why others don't get the vaccine and what we can do to help them understand the value and the need to get this vaccine. So I've heard some people say they wanted to wait and see what happened with others getting the vaccine. The vaccines were available. In fact, I can tell you when they're available because I have a little personal story to share about Dr. Roberts. Mm -hmm. I got my vaccine in February and I was scheduled to get it at a time when vaccines were still fairly scarce. So I didn't want to cancel my appointment. And there was a major snowstorm that was predicted in my area in central Ohio the day I was supposed to get my vaccine. So I texted Dr. Roberts on a Sunday evening and said, gee, what happens if it snows? And she was very gracious to send me an answer back. So it was February when I got my vaccine and it is July now. Is this enough of a period of time for people who say, I wanna wait and see what happens to others? Is it safe to assume that if you haven't seen any massive counter effects of people getting the vaccine that that's an objection that's pretty much been dealt with the answer to that is yes but i would even go back further than your february vaccine um keep in mind that we had clinical trials that happened before the fda would even grant emergency use authorization most of those clinical trials started in june of 2020 so at this point in time, those individuals who started getting vaccines as early as June of 2020, they've been monitored for over a year now. So we've got 12 months of data of individuals who were vaccinated, and we know what type of long-term reactions they may or may not have from these vaccines. So we've got that information that is very well monitored and very much scrutinized, plus we've got individuals like you who were not in a clinical trial who got the vaccine when their turn came up and here you are in february now it's almost the end of july so you've had a good five plus months with the vaccine thus far no long-term um, sequelae or issues um, that you have presented with so 
I think there is enough information for most people to say, look, this looks like it's a pretty good vaccine. You know, here in our country, we have the Federal Drug Administration, and they are very strict, much more strict than some other countries of how we decide which drugs can be used, which vaccines can be used. And we have multiple levels. So not only do we have the FDA, then we have the American, um, the ACIP, um, which is a group of healthcare providers that really decide which immunizations we should use, which vaccines we should use. And then we have the CDC. So we have multiple levels in the government that decide which vaccines or which medications are safe to use in our country. That's not the case for other countries. So knowing that we have this system in place, I feel very, very confident of the decisions by the FDA to give emergency use authorization. And why did we get emergency use authorization versus full approval? The answer is clear. FDA doesn't give full approval until they have more data, meaning more months of this vaccine in human bodies. So when they meet that trigger, when they get there, we will get full FDA approval. And I know some people are saying they're waiting for that full FDA approval. They don't feel comfortable with the emergency use authorization. That's going to come soon, and I'm hoping that we'll see a lot of people who really step up once that full approval comes in and gets the vaccine, if that's what people are really waiting for. And so I, I kind of like the fact that you said if that's what people are really waiting for, because this is my opinion again. Sometimes when people are afraid to do something or when they're resistant to doing something, they grasp at every possible objection that they can find. And so again, what we're trying to do with this show and what in general healthcare practitioners across the country who are credible and who are concerned are trying to do is to answer any questions you might have, but still let you know that there is a real danger. And so if the message about vaccines on this show isn't clear, let me state it very clearly. Please get the vaccine. Please get the vaccine. What about those, Dr. Roberts, who say, gee, it, it's, it's my right and my rights are being violated. You can't tell me what to do. My body, my right. Well, I don't know if you want me to go there. I um, really do. <laughs> to please keep me from going there. <laughs> you go there first and so, then I'll go there. <laughs> so, you know, there have been government bodies that have told women that it's not your body, it's not your right, and you're not allowed to get a, um abortion. We're asking people to either wear, or to either get vaccinated, wear a mask all the time, or don't go anywhere. I mean, that's pretty much what we're asking people to do. Pick one of those. Um, people are frustrated. They don't want someone to tell them to wear a mask. Yet, it's societal norm when you go out, you wear a shirt and pants. We're just asking you to add another accessory to that, which is a mask. Um, you know, I think what we know about this virus is that for every person who's not vaccinated in our community, that person becomes a vessel for the virus to mutate and become more dangerous. Um, so that's why we want people to get vaccinated because we are only as strong as our weakest link. 
And our weak links are those who are not vaccinated because that allows the virus to replicate. Okay, so I'm having a hard time holding my peace now. So I believe the word that those of us who are not physicians use to explain what you just said is the word contagious. So for people who are equating the COVID vaccine or COVID with, for example, abortion, which is a very serious topic, of course, and maybe one will address in a later show, but abortions are not contagious. And so if someone chooses to have or not have an abortion, it doesn't impact my health. And so when you say, gee, my body, my choice, the, the, the virus is still contagious. It's not just about you. And so you mentioned, Dr. Roberts, that right now, of course, that we're in summertime and that perhaps affects the transmission rate. But I also want to ask about the fact that we're going back to school soon and quite a few of us are going back into our workplaces soon. And so the attitude of my body, my choice, you said that the recommendation is that people pick one, either get vaccinated or wear a mask. I'll just leave it as those two simple choices. What about those people who say, gee, I'm just not going to do either one, especially because nobody's going to check. Nobody's going to check in Walmart. Nobody's going to check in my workplace to see if I'm vaccinated or not. And therefore, I'm not going to wear a mask. Do you think there are going to have to be mandates again? Well, so, I mean, you bring up some very valid points. And, you know, I think what we've seen from our elected officials across this country is they've really tried to strip those who are doing the right thing, whether they're public health officials, whether they're governors or even some municipalities, from putting mandates in place that would help reduce the spread of this virus. Um, the mandates worked. I can tell you that much. The mask orders worked. The social distancing worked. Um, I have gone into establishments since those mandates have been lifted that are still trying to comply with those mandates, and I appreciate those businesses. They're still trying to keep their tables a certain distance apart. They're still keeping barriers in place. They're still having their employees wear a mask. I feel more comfortable when I go into an establishment and see that the people working there are wearing masks because I feel like they are not only thinking about themselves, but they're also thinking about their patrons or their customers. Um, I will tell you that I am vaccinated. My family is vaccinated. But even though the mask order has been lifted, I've continued to wear a mask when I'm out in public. At this point in time, when you go out in public, you're basically going into a Petri dish because only on average, depending on which community you're in, about 50% of individuals have been vaccinated. So take your local trip to the pharmacy. You walk in the pharmacy, there's 30 people in there, including yourself. Chances are about 15, 15 of those individuals or 50% have not been vaccinated, yet no one's wearing a mask. So those people who are not vaccinating, they're talking, they could be sneezing, they're breathing, um, they're spraying respiratory droplets that potentially could be infected. 
We have just a few minutes before break, and I wanted to ask you a quick question, but I want to tell my listeners, I realize I've been asking very long-winded questions, and the reason is I'm trying so hard not to just blurt out what it is I think and I feel, and so I'm trying to tread on this delicately. But I will say blatantly, just before break, again, please get the vaccine. And second, I will say blatantly, and I won't even ask Dr. Roberts her opinion on this because I don't want to put her in a compromising position. I absolutely cannot imagine being a healthcare worker and thinking that it's okay not to get vaccinated and still go around people who I am supposedly committed to keeping well. That's just unconscionable unconscionable to me that's intolerable to me but that's just my opinion and dr roberts if you'd like to comment on that great if not i'm happy to go right by that to my next editorial point which i think i will because we only have about 30 seconds left until break so very early in the show we briefly mentioned that perhaps some people's perspectives on the virus might still be a bit political in nature and I would just say that for the most part, our country by majority um, voted out an administration that on the surface seemed to be um, anti-vaccine and even questioned whether COVID was a conspiracy. And yet many members of that administration have gotten vaccinated and some take credit for the vaccine. So I would say, gee, if you're one of the people who voted against that administration, why would you still perpetuate some of those myths? We'll be back on the window to talk to Dr. Mashika Roberts about those of us who are vaccinated and what precautions we should take. Thanks for staying with us. This is Dr. Joe. We are back on the window. This is what happens when my co-host, Dr. I, is not here with me today. I get all out of control. I had done such a good job trying to be neutral and non-opinionated so you could hear from the expert, Dr. Mashika Roberts, Columbus City Health Commissioner, who's talking to us about the pandemic and the vaccine. And I just expressed my opinion. So my apologies for that. I'll probably do it again in just a moment. But I will say that hearing Dr. Roberts say just before the break that she is fully vaccinated and she still wears her mask to protect herself from the large percentage of the population that is not vaccinated. That's all I need to pull out my mask and start that practice over again, especially as I go back into the workplace. So Dr. Roberts, we've talked about people who are not vaccinated, some of whom I hope, after listening to you and other experts, make the decision to do what we all need them to do, get the vaccine. But let me ask you some questions, if I may, on behalf of those who are vaccinated. So let's say that someone is just starting down the path of getting their vaccines and they choose one of the manufacturers that requires two doses. If a person gets vaccinated using the a dosage from one maker, is it okay when they get their second shot to use another manufacturer's product? Yeah, that's a good question and one we get asked a lot. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not going to hurt you, but that is not what's recommended. And based on the fact that it's not recommended and we don't have any data or clinical trials to support it, we don't know how protected you will be. So we know that after you get two doses of Pfizer, three weeks apart, after that second dose, two weeks after that second dose. So basically it takes five weeks if you're getting Pfizer to be fully protected. If you do Moderna, it's going to take 
six weeks because each dose is four weeks apart, and then you've got to wait two weeks after that last dose to be fully protected. We know that you're anywhere between 90 to 99% of um, protected. But if you mix it, whether you mix Pfizer, Moderna, Moderna, and J&J, J&J and Pfizer, we just don't know because we don't have any data or any um, previous experience to know if that cocktail is going to be effective. Are we likely to need a booster? Yeah, you know, that's a question that we get asked all the time. And, you know, the answer is likely we will, but we just don't know. You know, again, this is a novel virus that we had some experience with prior to this pandemic, but not to this magnitude. And this virus has mutated already several times over the last 18 months. So we're learning and we're learning together. Um, I anticipate that at least some of our population will need a booster, whether we'll need shots annually or not. um, Time will tell. And we all just need to be patient to let the experts figure it out. Dr. Roberts, there's someone in my bubble, I will call it, who is immunocompromised. You briefly Mm -hmm. mentioned that before in terms of people who might have good reason based on the advice of their healthcare practitioners not to take the virus yet. What about people who are immunocompromised and have taken the vaccine? Do they have the same level of protection? So can you explain to us again what immunocompromised means and, and what the implications are for people who are immunocompromised and the level of protection the vaccine does or does not give them? Sure. So um, there are many people out there who are immunocompromised. The most common example I can tell you are individuals who are receiving chemotherapy or who have recently received chemotherapy for cancer. Um, But there are a lot of other people out there who are immunocompromised that might not be getting treatment for cancer. Um, You hear all these commercials on TV about drugs for rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, HIV. Those are individuals that are leading normal lives, but they're taking medications that can impair their immune system, or what I like to say, blunt their immune system. So their immune system is not working at full capacity. Instead of working at 100% capacity, like someone who is not on some of these medications, their immune system could be working anywhere between 30 to 80% capacity. So not full capacity. So even though they've been vaccinated, the vaccine might not give them the same level of protection as someone who's not immunocompromised. So this person is now vaccinated, but we don't know if they're going to get the same benefit as someone who's not immunocompromised. So for those individuals, they, the person who's immunocompromised, needs to be very careful about what they do, washing their hands. Probably if I were recommending, they should be wearing a mask when they're out in public, particularly large groups trying to keep their bubble or their social um, circle limited and only allowing people who are vaccinated in that bubble Um, and and just really being mindful of their surroundings and their exposure. Um, And so we as a community also need to be cognizant of people who are in our bubble who are immunocompromised and what we can do to help protect them and keep them safe. So what some of the, the ACIP met Thursday, and one of the things they discussed were these individuals who are over 65, 
and who are immunocompromised, do they need to get a booster sooner than the general public who's not immunocompromised? And there were a lot of discussions at the ACIP on Thursday. No final decision was made, um, but I anticipate a decision will be made on that soon, and we will be offering boosters to a segment of our population in the near future. Good. So the person I'm referring to is a is a transplant recipient, an organ transplant mm-hmm. recipient. So those of us who have been vaccinated, even if we don't feel any symptoms, can we still spread the virus to someone else who either hasn't had the vaccine or is in one of the categories you just talked about that perhaps doesn't have maximum effectiveness from the vaccine? So some of the, you know, initially we didn't know the answer to that. We didn't know if a vaccinated person could still spread the virus to others. Um, some more recent data has showed that it seems like vaccinated people are less likely to shed the virus um, and get other people infected. But again, nothing in life is 100%. And so if you are around someone who is immunocompromised, you know, I think it's in everyone's best interest to continue to be cognizant of that and to practice some refrain. For example, if you look at any of our healthcare facilities right now, per CDC, if you're working in a healthcare facility and you're providing patient care, you have to wear a face covering, um, whether it's a surgical mask or an N95. So we're still doing that in the hospital setting, whether you're vaccinated or not. So that should be an indication to people that there is a chance that a vaccinated person can spread this to a non-vaccinated person or a vaccinated person who is immunocompromised. And I failed to acknowledge that is another condition of a transplant recipient. Because when you receive a transplant, you're on medication for the rest of your life to make sure that you don't reject that new organ. And that medication can... Um, impair your immune system. Dr. Roberts, what about children? Where do we stand on the status of vaccines for children? So we know that vaccines for children, um, children over the age of 12 are now eligible for the vaccine. Um, But we don't know about our kids under the age of 12. And that's a large segment of our population. And they are not eligible for the vaccine yet. It's not clear when they will be eligible. I'm optimistic that a large percentage of our under 12 will be eligible by the end of 2021, but I don't know when that will be. Will that be October or will that be December? I just don't know. Um, And even when we think about our kids who are over the age of 12, there are a lot of parents who just have been reluctant to get their kids vaccinated. And so our vaccine coverage in our pediatric population or in our K through 12 population is not nearly where it should be. And, you know, we keep saying about 50% of most people are vaccinated. But when you look at our under 18 group or our pediatric group, the numbers are much less than 50%. It's been a long time since I was five years old and started kindergarten. It's been a long time since I started a college. But do I recall correctly that I was required to get vaccines against certain types of diseases as a requirement for attending certain types of schools? Yes, you do recall correctly. Um, 
there are vaccines that are expected for you to matriculate in kindergarten. Now, any family can opt out of that for religious or health reasons, but you have to have a form signed by your health care provider if it's for health reasons or by your religious leader if it's for religious reasons. Um, but that's why, you know, those vaccine mandates, those expectations to get vaccinated before we matriculate in school is what has caused us to see no chickenpox, to see um, less pertussis or whooping cough in the school um, when parents um, get their kids vaccinated. You know, measles, up until a few years ago, we didn't have measles here in the United States. Um, but then, you know, there was a movement about 15 years ago, maybe a little longer, where there was a researcher who really scared families and made families believe that the MMR, which is the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, was um, attributing to the high rates of autism we see in this country. And as a result of that, many parents chose not to get their kids vaccinated with the MMR or to delay it, so get it done later than the schedule. Um, and we saw, we started to see measles in our country. Now that researcher, um, it was later identified and all his claims were false. He ended up losing his medical license in the UK. Um, but a lot of people still believe those myths. And some of those um, myths or untruths um, have been circulating with the COVID-19 vaccine, um, that it could cause infertility. It's actually the same researcher who said MMR was associated with autism um, who started some of that movement. Um, this this COVID-19 vaccine does not cause infertility, and there is no scientific reason or data to even suggest that it could cause infertility. Um, so that is not a concern and should not be a concern for um, people thinking about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. For some reason, I have a very vivid memory of getting the polio vaccine when I was younger, and I remember being surrounded by adults who were assuring me that this was okay, and I'm not sure what's happened to our country in that we can't provide those same types of assurances based on the same type of rigorous scientific data about this COVID vaccine. Dr. Roberts, as we prepare to end this hour with we, with you, and again, we so appreciate your time today. Can you tell us what herd immunity is, mm. why that's important, and how we can ever get there? Sure. So um, herd immunity is a public health and a scientific term that those of us in healthcare use a lot. And, you know, it's think of a herd, think of a uh, cows on a pasture and all the herd stays together and they walk together and they move together. Um, well, for herd immunity, we need a large percentage of our population to move together in the same direction to reduce the spread of this virus. And what is herd, what's the magic number? None of us really know. We anticipate it's somewhere above 70% of our community needs to be vaccinated or have had the virus. Well, I can tell you here in Columbus and Franklin County, only about, if we're lucky, 10% of our community has been infected with COVID-19. And then about 50% of our community has been vaccinated with COVID-19. And so collectively, that's about 60%. Now, some of those people who were infected with COVID-19 
also have been vaccinated. So it's probably not exactly 60%. So we're not near that 70%. We need a lot more people to get vaccinated to get even closer and over the 70% threshold. But we saw herd immunity with measles and getting the MMR. We've seen herd immunity with pertussis and getting the Tdap or Dtap um, immunization. Um, so we need more people to get vaccinated to reach this comfort zone to get to herd immunity. If you've had COVID, do you need the vaccine? Absolutely. No question about it. If you've had COVID, you have to get the vaccine. Dr. Mashika Roberts, Columbus Public Health Commissioner, thank you so much not only for being here with us today, but for all of that you and the scientific and health community have done to get us through the past year and a half of COVID and hopefully get us to a point where COVID will be something that we don't need to talk about, but for now we do need to. So to our audience, please talk about it. Please talk about it to your family, your loved ones, your coworkers, especially those who have not received the COVID vaccine. Please do that, especially people who are wondering if they should wear their masks. That's a safety precaution that we're urging you to take. Dr. Roberts, we hope to hear a lot more from you publicly about good news about COVID as we move forward. But for now, please accept again our thanks to you and to our listening audience for joining us on the window and for what we're all going to do to work together to beat this monster COVID. Thank you. Thank you. Look through the window.